What's up, Northside? How we doing? We're getting there? Okay. We're waking up slow. If that, didn't, if that didn't awaken you a little, can we do this? Can we make some noise for those folks who just got baptized and say, we love you. Welcome to the family. I don't know about you, but I love making heaven more crowded, you guys. That is what we're here for. Holy cow, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, we got hot wings in the lobby after this. It's probably going to be one of the quickest sermons of my life. If you're online, love you, see you, glad you're here. We kind of wish you were here because we're about to feast after this. We're going to have some fun today. Let's get this over with, okay? Who are you cheering for today? How many uh, make some noise for San Francisco? Where are we at? little of that. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Okay. How many people like me just need a break from Taylor Swift? Okay. In Jesus name. Let's just rest the whole thing for a little bit. I've been a Bears fan since birth. I actually have theological evidence that Jesus is a Bears fan too. Okay. Here it is. In Isaiah 53, it says Jesus was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. There is no team, no fan base on earth who knows sorrow and suffering like the Chicago Bears and their fans. Jesus loves the Bears. End of debate. Okay. Galatians chapter three. I would love it if you join me in a Bible, in a phone, whatever you're flipping through, through scriptures, highlighters, note takers, underliners, you are my people, okay? Bible nerds unite. I just found this out. If you got the Bible on your phone and you tap the verse, it'll try and highlight it, but you have this little thing you can tap where it says notes and then you can type a note that goes along with what you highlighted. That is acceptable form of note taking in Jesus name. We got some cool stuff in the scriptures today. I can't wait to get to. I'm going to pray and we're going to get after it. Let's pray together. God and Father. There is no one like you. God, I pray today that you would join us here and that you would show us personally how wide, how high, and how deep your love is for us. God, as we open your word, would you feed our souls? If anything good, redeeming, or lovely is going to happen this morning, it is going to be by the power of your spirit. God, get me out of the way. Take over our time today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in our Galatians study, chapter 3. If you've been following along, week 1, Paul writes, Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. In chapter 2, he writes, we can know that our faith is secure because we have trusted in who Jesus is. And we get to chapter 3, and with kindness and love and the skillful compassion of a pastor, Paul writes... You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After by beginning, by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, did God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? 
Now, Bible study question, why does it feel like Paul set down the pen and Stone Cold Steve Austin started writing chapter three? What happened to Paul and where did he go? Well, we actually know where he went. If we go back to our historical context and remember the story behind this book, we remember that Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. He then became a evangelist pastor and church planter. And so he traveled all around the, what we call the Mediterranean Rim, uh, visiting these Jewish communities that had been spread throughout that whole area. If you look at the map right here, you can actually see the area of Galatia. He goes there and his MO is he goes into towns that have these Jewish synagogues. And he was a Jewish scholar. So he would go into these synagogues and he'd go, hey, you guys, you know, the Old Testament we've been studying, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, all those guys. Well, guess what? They were all pointing to the Messiah who has come. He was Jesus. And now life is found in Jesus Christ. And so he would go and do that. He would stay in these places. He would establish these churches and these churches would flourish. And then he would move on, rinse and repeat. And so here's what happens. Paul leaves eventually this area called Galatia. He leaves a few churches behind and they're growing and Jesus is working miracles among them. Even non-Jewish people are starting to put their faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul goes on to Jerusalem and then later to Asia to plant more churches. But there's this group of Jewish legalists, okay? They're often called Judaizers. And they leave Jerusalem and they hear about people leaving their Jewish heritage and turning to Jesus. They don't like this. And so they follow Paul's footsteps trying to discredit his ministry. And they teach people, hey, guys, 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 let's slow down on this Jesus thing, okay? Jesus is great, but but we don't want to leave our law behind. We don't want to leave Moses behind. So what they tell people is that you need Jesus and the law, and it's 613 commandments. They sell people on this recipe. See, they got name tags on and prestige and uniforms, and they speak well, and Paul's gone. They came from Jerusalem. So the Galatians start to believe this false idea that it is Jesus plus my performance that makes me worth it and worthy to God. I've best heard this theology or this false idea called the performance trap. Anytime we have a form of faith that says it is Jesus, yes, but plus my actions, my performance, how I'm doing that make me worth it and worthy, we have fallen into this trap. This is one of the most common perversions of our gospel, and it is one that we must still guard our hearts and minds against today. It's a common trap. The trap can happen, as Aaron said so well a couple weeks ago, we view our faith as this relay race. We see Jesus, he forgives us, we fall into his grace and fall in love with him. We get baptized, we are saved, forgiven, and clean. And then sometimes we imagine after our baptism, Jesus hands us this baton, and now we've got to run the race, and we've got to show the world that we are worth it and worthy by our performance. It can happen sometimes when we have unconfessed or unrepentant sin in our lives. 
Sometimes we have this sin in our life and, and it's just sitting there and we've tried several different times to get rid of it and it still looms over us and we don't know how to fix it ourselves and we feel the weight of guilt and feel this sensation that we're kind of falling behind on God's scorecard. So what do we do? We turn up the volume on our religious activity, the way we talk, the way we pray. Maybe if I do these things, it'll off balance this and before we know it, we have left grace behind. It can happen in our faith and religious life, but it can also happen in so many other parts of life as well. Uh, if I'm being honest, one of the places where I've tended to fall into this trap is in my parenting journey. I gotta say really quick, one of the things about this parenting journey that I love when I come to this church is how many folks here are raising their children to know and love Jesus in this church. Can I tell you something? If you're here today and you got some kids under the age of two years old here today, you are doing the Lord's work, okay? We love you, we see you. Can we make some noise? Can we just say, hey, we got you, okay? You will not regret this one day. But I'll tell you something. In 10 years of having done this parenting thing, I'll tell you what, there are times when I'm tempted to hang my worth and worthiness on how I'm doing as a parent. If I'm not careful at the end of the week, I let my performance as a parent speak of my worth and worthiness and not the name of Jesus Christ. At the end of the week, it can be like, did I pray with the kids? Did we limit screen time? Did we do all these things that we're supposed to be doing? And, and if it went well, then I feel pretty good like I'm doing it. But if I was lacking, I kind of feel like I've lost a step. My wife would tell you the same thing. I remember early in our parenting journey, my wife loves the Lord. She's an incredible parent. But there were times she would say if she had lost her cool while the kids were young, she would just feel like at the end of a week, the words, bad mom were hanging over her head. And it's the same trap because it left her leaning on her performance to assess her worth and worthiness. Your health and wellness journey can take you there. You wanna get fit, you wanna be around longer for the grandkids, you wanna look healthy, spring break's coming, whatever your motive is, it's good to be healthy, but there are times if we are not careful where that scale and that waistline become worth and worthiness metrics, not health and wellness metrics. And before you know it, at the end of the week, it is your waistline and that scale that are speaking over you and not the voice of Jesus who says that you are enough. There's all kinds of different places and spaces where this can happen. It can happen in your work life. It can happen in your academics, with your grades. If you're a student in ministry, it happens to so many ministry workers and our kids' athletic performance. There are so many places where we are tempted to add on our performance metrics to our worth in Christ to assess our worth and worthiness. And my friends, it is a trap. Why is Paul so fired up? Because he knew a faith that is Jesus plus my performance is no faith at all. Paul knew that you and I were never made by God to carry the weight of earning our approval. And when we inherit that and we twist just a little bit and add our performance to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will smash us. At best, it leads to arrogance. And at worst and ultimately, it will crush you because you were never made to carry that weight. So Paul writes, and he says, you guys, do you remember 
Do you remember your early faith where the lights came on and everything made sense and you reached out in faith and you ran towards Jesus and all of a sudden he started to work in your life and he cleaned you up and that sorrow was replaced with joy and that weight of guilt and shame was lifted and you felt so alive and free and his spirit started moving within you. He was cleaning you up and fixing your families in ways you tried but could never do before. Paul says, do you remember your early faith? Did God do that because you had achieved perfection and you had climbed the top of Mount Perfectionism, stuck a flag in the top, and he looked down at you and was like, wow, we, I really want to be a part of what she's got going on. Let me get down there and add on to what she's doing. Or did God start moving in your life by grace? And was it that moment when you needed him the most You deserved him the least, and he wrapped his arms around you. Was it that moment when you had nowhere else to turn, and you had made the mess yourself, and you said, Jesus, help me, and he was right there with you? It was, of course, by grace. Why is Paul so fired up? Paul is so fired up because he knew the real equation that sits underneath our faith, and it is simply this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It is not Jesus plus my performance, Jesus plus my prayer frequency, Jesus plus my church attendance record, not Jesus plus my parenting victories or how many miles I've ran or ice baths I've taken or how many pounds I've lost. It's not Jesus plus the letters next to my name. When I have Jesus plus nothing, I have everything. In him, I am free. I am forgiven. I am whole. I am holy. I am loved. And he's my heavenly father and he will make sure Sure, I have everything I truly need. Is Jesus plus nothing equals everything? So, can I just be a voice this morning? In our lives, in our world, where there are so many voices saying, do better, so many voices saying, you're not enough. So much pressure and expectation from outside and pressure and expectation that we put on ourselves. Can I be the voice today that says, if you have Jesus, you have everything. You are enough. You are loved. You are pure. You are holy. Here's this. You don't have to earn it and you don't have to maintain it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's why in this series, the tagline is bigger, bolder, better. This gospel of Jesus Christ is bigger, bolder, and better than we could ever hope or imagine. I love what Paul does next. He goes on and with the skill of a trial lawyer, he explains to us that we are saved through faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone. He will explain to us that it is Jesus plus nothing that truly equals everything. He will go to these Judaizers in their own scriptures. If you're a note taker, you could write Genesis 12 through 22. Genesis chapters 12 through 22, just off on the side, because these next verses we're going to read, Paul is going to pull from the Old Testament scriptures that these Judaizers themselves used to convince the Galatians of this false gospel. It's almost as if, and I like this because Paul's feisty, and he goes, you guys really want to have this out? Get out your Bibles. 
Roll out your scrolls and let me show you from your own scriptures that it has been by faith from beginning to end. Let me show you from the life of your own hero, Abraham, that he was saved through faith. God is not Old Testament God, mean God, and then he turned nice after Jesus came. He has been faithful and loving and gracious from the very beginning. He says this in verse six. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. I would highlight that, circle it underline it. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. When you hear children of Abraham, just think in God's family. Those who have faith have been welcomed into God's family. Scripture foresaw that God would justify, that's worth circling, the Gentiles by faith. And announced in the gospel in advance through Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He goes, roll out your scrolls and let me tell you about Abraham. Now, if you don't know who Abraham is, uh, he had many sons and many sons had father Abraham and he was this Old Testament hero and he's kind of the origin of the whole Israelite nation and God shows up in history and he speaks to Abraham and he says, get ready, I am on the move and I am gonna do unimaginable things through you. Abraham is 75 years old. His wife and him have had fertility struggles their whole life and he says, guess what, Abraham? I'm stepping into history. You're gonna father a whole nation, not just a few kids. And that nation is gonna bless the world because through that nation, I will bring my Messiah, Jesus Christ, and the whole world will be saved through him. Now I need you to go to this place that I'm gonna show you. And in Genesis 15, verse six, it says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Paul brings that into Galatians 3 to say, hey, let's look back at our scriptures. You know why Abraham is a hero in our faith? It is not because of his faithfulness to God. It is because of God's faithfulness to him. Guys, has anybody told you that this faith is not about your ability to hold on to God, but rather it's about God's ability to hold on to you? Paul says that's our story. That's our origin. Our hero Abraham was saved by faith. And Paul brings that into this example to say the same is true for us today. Abraham put his faith in God and was accredited righteousness. When we do so today, that is what saves us. And Paul talks about when we place our faith in Christ, verses six and verses eight, these two powerful things happen to us. One, we are justified. And two, we are credited righteousness. Let's talk about this. He says we are justified. When you think justified, think just as if I have never sinned. When you truly come to understand what it means to be justified, it feels wrong. It feels scandalous. When you are justified through faith in Christ, which is what happens when we put our full trust in Christ, when you are justified, your sins are erased. One commenter I read this week said, it is just as if we are as holy as we will be when we die and move into our heavenly glory and sit in God's presence right now. 
When we are justified by Christ, it is not like God knows us, knows that we sin, and kind of looks the other way because we've declared our faith in Jesus. Those sins and failures do not show up in God's consciousness anymore. In the book of Hebrews, God says, I will remember your sins no more. Do you know what he means when he says he's not going to remember our sins anymore? He means he will remember our sins no more. That's good news. Here's why. Because you might be hearing this and you might be thinking, hang on, Matt, you're telling me. You're telling me that Jesus' forgiveness is so powerful, like my sins are not showing up in God's mind anymore? I'm saying absolutely. You're telling me, because here's the deal, Matt, I still make mistakes. I still have some sins I'm working through. And I haven't resolved those issues yet. There's a good chance I'm going to do those later. Are you telling me that justification is so great that when I've sinned and I've failed, it's not showing up on God's consciousness? And so when I've sinned and I've failed, I don't have to hide from God, but I can run to him and he can help me with the stuff that I can't fix on my own. Matt, if that's what you're telling me, that's too good to be true. To that I would say, that's why this is called good news. It is bigger, bolder, and better than we dare imagine sometimes. And it's for you. And it's for me. Good news is not, hey, we love you. You got baptized. Now go out there and show God and all of us that you're worth something. Good news is through Christ you can inherit you can be given an unshakable righteousness through faith in him alone. It also says there, our other big word, we're credited righteousness. When Paul starts talking about credited righteousness, the big theological God thought word for that is imputation. You could think of it like this. If I had an amputation, that would be something is removed from my body. If there is imputation, something is added to me. When we place our faith in Christ, his righteousness, his status before God is imputed to us. Um, we moved here about six months ago from California and the airport experience is a completely different deal over there, okay? You can roll in to San Diego International Airport and one day you're just rolling, security's waving at you right this way and you can go there another way, day and it is a two hour line to get through security. And here's the problem, you never know which one it's gonna be. And so it, it is just tough. I've literally seen a line at security that was over a mile long before at the San Diego Airport. And so one time I was there and the line was longer than I expected and I was looking at my watch and I'm like there is no way I am making it through this line and into security and then next to that line I saw this other line and there was a sign in front of the line and it said TSA pre-check and there are these people and they were happy and they were talking they're like high-fiving the security guys they go by and I was like I gotta be in that line and so I look into it and I find out for $100, you can get, I, there's a lot of ways to do it, but it's a global entry card, the one I did. And it is the best $100 I have ever spent. You pay $100 and they come give you a little background check and you fill out some papers. You get this card in the mail and now before you know it, you are in the short line. 
And I just want to tell you as a TSA pre-member, if you have ever wondered when you're in the long line, if those people over there in the short line are looking down on you and judging you, I just want you to know the answer is absolutely yes. <laughs> the battle against pharisaical self-righteousness is at an all-time high in that TSA pre-line. I'm sorry. And so we had done that and my wife Britt had filed for one, I filed for one. There was a problem with her getting hers and we, we showed up at the, fam- the airport one day. They had the whole family, all the kids, packed all the bags, all the stuff. And, and, and so I have the TSA pre on my ticket and the wife and kids do not and they just want to see their grandparents. We're pumped to get back, the whole thing. And we roll up to the airport, we get there on time. And then what do you know, it's one of those two-hour lines. So I'm looking at the line and I'm looking at the watch and the line and the watch. I'm like, this does not add up. And so I don't know what to do. So Hail Mary, I just go to the gate agent and I, and I look at her and I say, ma'am, and I line up the kids. I'm like, act cute. And, <laughs> and I'm, I say, ma'am, th- these beautiful children, right? These sweet angels want to see their grandparents so bad. And I, I got TSA pre in the short line. It's not that bad right now. Is there any way you can? And she goes, hang on just a sec. She starts typing. And I'm like, act cuter. And then she's typing. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden she goes, got it. And she starts printing tickets and she turns it around with a smile on her face. She goes, look at this. She had figured out how to impute my status of TSA pre-cleared on everyone else's tickets. Because of that imputation, my status and privileges had been afforded to them. Do you know what it means when it says in scriptures that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to you and I? It means that God through Christ and our faith in him has given us all of Christ's goodness. When Jesus got baptized and God says, that's my son with whom I'm well pleased. We are now the children in Christ with whom God is well pleased. Jesus' faithfulness is my faithfulness. His obedience is my obedience. His purity is my purity. And his victory is my victory. And no one can take that away from me because I am secure in him. There we go. bigger, better, bolder than we ever dare imagine. So Paul continues, chapter 3, verse 10, it says, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For scripture say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. What he's saying is there is no amount of performing you can do, no amount of maintaining you can do, no amount of obeying you can do to be made right with God. Why is that? Because there's always more that could be done. There's always more obedience that could be added. There's always another person to prove your worth to. There's always another day coming where you will start the process all over again. And here's what I love, verse 13, but Christ. 
I'll just tell you something. Anytime you see but Christ or but God in your scriptures, you know something good is coming. He says the law is cursed. There's always more performing you can do. You will never be enough. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on a cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Paul finishes here by pointing to Jesus Christ who makes it all possible. And he tells us about one more big grace word that will transform our lives. He says, we were rescued. In the original language, it was this word, exagerazo. It could be best translated redeemed, perhaps. Redeemed is like rescued on steroids. Because when we've been redeemed, yes, we were rescued, but we were rescued because somebody paid a price. One of the greatest redemption stories I ever heard was that of a man named Venture Smith. Smith was kidnapped in Africa in the 1800s, stuffed into a ship and grew up from the age of 10 years old on as a slave in the Americas in the 1800s. Through his hardship and oppression, he managed to find out little ways to save money here and there. And he'd sell some crops that he grew on the side. He would pick up odd jobs for folks. And after 26 years in slavery, he was able to purchase his own freedom. But there was just one problem. His pregnant wife and three sons were still captive in slavery. So like any loving father, Smith went to work. He found a job in New England chopping wood. And he did the math and he knew if he could chop 400 cords of wood, for reference, that is 32,000 logs, he could set his family free. Smith picked up an axe and six months later paid the price for the freedom of his wife and kids so they could move from slavery to a family. My friends, that is a beautiful picture or reflection of our redemption in Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven because he paid a price with his life so we could be set free. And if no one's told you this yet, That's for you. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, or how you got here. When he gave up his life, he gave it with your freedom in mind. And he's here. If you're willing to cry out to him. For those of us who are believers, I think this brings us to communion. If you have those elements, you can go ahead and get those ready right now. I think our Savior Jesus knew that 
after he died, was resurrected and went again to heaven that we would remain in this world full of its pressure, full of those voices of guilt and shame that tell us to make something of ourselves, full of those accusing tones that tell us that we are what we have done. And that's why we, he gave us communion as a gift. He sat down at a table with his best friends and followers a night before he would be crucified. And he says, from now on, when you take bread, I want you to remember my body being broken for you. From now on, when you remember or when you drink this wine, I want you to remember my blood spilled so you could be loved, rescued, redeemed, and free. And he said those simple words, do this in remembrance of me. Take time and reconnect to who God says you are. So that being said, I want to invite you to go ahead and open that bread right now, remembering Jesus' body broken for you. Go ahead, we can take that together. Go ahead and open that juice and remember that blood that was spilled so you could be free. Go ahead and take that now. Let me pray for us. God and Father, I pray that powerful ways you would remind us of your great love for us. Father, not just here and now, but this week, God, we need you. We need your freedom. We need your forgiveness. We need to be reminded that it's not riding on us anymore. We need to be reminded, God, that you never let go. Would you do that? Jesus, as your people, once again, we say we love you, we need you, and we trust you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.